Awesome. That is so cool. If you got your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 9. We are going to be looking at just one verse this week. You know, we've been going through Acts, and I'm so excited about this verse because it's really meant a lot to me. Personally, over the last few years, um, I thought about it, quoted a lot to myself and to others, uh, especially in the early days of getting uh, our core team built and the, all of that work of, of starting our church. And I'm excited about because I think that it really has a huge amount of relevance to us as Christians today in our area, in our place and time. And, um, you know, most of what we've been doing so far in the Acts, in Acts are bigger stories. And we've been covering a lot of verses in one shot. And, and we're going to continue with that in a couple weeks after Easter. Um, but each of these verses, or uh, this verse in particular, I should say, is what's, what's uh, considered a closing verse of a section of Acts. Um, Luke, the author of Acts, does these kinds of transitionary, kind of a summary verse of a section. And this is the end of the second section of six total sections in the book of Acts where he's closing it out. And we'll get more into the specifics of that, but let me go ahead and read the verse. Acts 9, verse 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, there's four particular things I want to kind of pull out here to focus on that I think are really relevant to us. The first one is, is uh, kind of deals with the environment that they are in at this moment. And it's that they had peace. And then the second two are about the manner of the way they lived. It says that they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, I want to highlight that it says that they multiplied. That's the result. That's what happened with them within the church. And I'm going to walk through each of those four areas. Um, but I'm going, to start, I'm going to do them in reverse order. So let's start off with this idea of, of multiplying. You know, because multiplication is, is this basic idea of more Christians, more Christians, more Christians. They, Jesus told them, go and make disciples. And that's what's happening here. More Christians are being multiplied. And, and you know, a basic law of biology is that healthy things multiply, right? So, um, you know, if you think about an apple tree, what's the fruit of an apple tree? It's apples. But real multiplication is when one of those apples falls into the ground and another apple tree grows up. And now you have two apple trees that are bearing fruit of apples. And, and of course, every apple tree has a lifetime, just like all of us have a lifetime. And, and just like an apple tree, there is a capacity to how much an apple tree can actually bear. You, there is, you know, an apple tree can't bear an infinite number of apples. It has a limit. Every season, a limit of apples. And then, of course, it has a lifetime. Well, that's just like us. If, if our plan for expanding the kingdom of God was just adding people, then it would end. It would come to an end. But God's plan is actual multiplication. It's what a harvest is. A harvest is multiplication from seeds that become plants to trees to fruit to more seeds to plants. You know, 
over and over and over, more and more and more and more. And I've got a, a chart up on the screen that kind of illustrates this idea, and you guys may have seen this before, of addition versus multiplication. This is just meant to illustrate the idea. But, you know, if you can imagine, like, how impressive would it be if you led somebody to Christ every day for the next year? You know, that's what the addition column is. In one year's time, you would have an imp- there would be an impressive you plus 365 more Christians in the world. And you'd be like, wow, that is absolutely amazing. Versus on the other side, you have this idea of multiplication, where what if I spent the next year just really investing and pouring into and discipling one person? At the end of that year, there would be two Christians, me plus that one other person. But, of course, at the end of that year, that other person who's been discipled now is equipped, and they start discipling somebody else. And then I start discipling somebody else. And the end of year two, there's now four people. In the year three, it's eight people and so on. And you can see that by, what is it, Year 13, multiplication actually starts to catch the addition idea. So again, on the, on the addition idea, it's every year I'm just adding another 365 Christians because I'm personally leading that many people to Christ every single year, which is amazing. And of course, the growth at the beginning is incredible. And the growth of the multiplication side is kind of eh, not so impressive. But obviously, by year 15, as I got there, 32,000 plus people because multiplication is that you see that that idea now this is just to illustrate this this principle and of course i don't think it's fair necessarily to compare the fruit of one person to another because there's a lot of things talking about you know like apple trees there's a lot of factors that affect the amount of fruit and you know how that produces like the the condition of the soil um, the environment and the climate that that apple is in all have a factor on, you know, what's happening in terms of how they multiply, you know, the health of that tree and how much they produce. And, of course, the Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. When he told the Corinthian people, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. It's God that gives the growth. So it's not necessarily, you can't just judge uh, the performance of the, the disciple maker based on the number of fruit. And, and really the better way to say it is we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people. I think the, really the question is, is what's my heart orientation to this? Could you say, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, that my life is one that's going to lead to multiplication. My life is one that's a healthy life and walk with Christ that I want to multiply, that God would multiply. Kind of the orientation of where what direction is my heart going towards what God wants or what I want. And of course, we see examples of that in scripture as well. You remember Jeremiah? He's referred to as the suffering prophet because here's a prophet who God called to ministry, but it was a calling to ministry to be rejected by people. So he spent 40 years in ministry of of basically, uh, by the numbers, failing. But that was what God called him to, and it's not, I think, fair to compare the performance of Jeremiah versus the performance of, I don't know, Apostle Paul or whoever. There's a lot of factors, obviously, that are out of our control, but what's my heart orientation of it? And and would you say that the life that you're living and where you're going and what you're doing is going to lead to this kind of multiplication of people? And and I've, I've said to you all over and over and over that our lives are so much more so much more than our jobs, so much more than, than a spouse that understands us or, you know, you know, kids that 
don't turn out to be delinquents, you know, uh, nice house, vacations, great fashion. I mean, it's so much more than that. God is at work in, in redeeming people to himself and making us more and more like Christ. That is the work of God in our world, and we get to join him in participating in that. That's, that, that is significance. That is eternal meaning in our lives. And each and every one of us, and as I've said over and over, are in a unique spot that God's put you for that purpose. And another illustration that's just uh, has been running in my head more and more and more as I've gone through Acts is this idea of the power of God like a powerful river. You know, I've used that before. It's like God is on a mission, and it's like a powerful river of redemption in the world. Right? And his power in this river is not something where we get a bucket and walk over the river and get ourselves some of that river and then walk it over to our thing and try to water our thing. That's not the way the power of God works in our lives. The way the power of God works in our lives is we wade into that river to the point where the power and the force of that current now takes our body over. And, he, and we're now going the way that God wants us to go. And that's the mission of God in our lives. And that is going to lead to multiplication. And again, don't compare yourselves with others. I don't think that's the question. I think the question is, is what's the orientation of my life? Am I following Jesus or is it something else? And then he gets into these two ideas that are, you know, about comfort and fear. Comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. That's the manner that they were living in. And I think it's reasonable to say that every single person on the planet is on the one hand pursuing things that feel good and running away from things that hurt. We, we go towards pleasure and what we enjoy and what brings comfort, and we run away from things that are hard or difficult or painful or or hurt, or we're afraid of. We're all wired that kind of way. That's the way we're, we're, we work. But what this text is going to challenge us in, in is God my ultimate comfort? And is God my ultimate fear? We'll, we'll dig into that and get into that a little bit more now. Because one of the names that, that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, you know, when Jesus introduced the disciples, this idea of the Holy Spirit, he called him comforter. And it could also be translated as helper or advocate. Um, and he told the disciples, he's like, guys, when I leave, I'm going to send another comforter in my place. Which, which tells us that the minis- part of the ministry the Holy Spirit has in our lives is like what Jesus was doing for them directly. And I've got on the screen James 1, 16 through 17. Check this out. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It says that every good gift is from God. Every perfect gift is from God. So we go wrong when we're chasing after what we think are good gifts from things other than God. 
You know, and, and I think it's <laughs> remarkable that he says, do not be deceived, brothers, because I mean, that's one of the things that's powerful about what, what draws us. What, what draws us to, for pleasure and comfort, it's deceptive. It's deceptively powerful. I mean, like all of the advertising industry is geared around drawing us to, it's like you're going to be more fulfilled and more significant and you're going to be more proud of yourself. I mean, the whole midlife crisis uh, convertible is all based on this idea of I will find my significance in that thing. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but that's what draws us. We want to go in that way. Or, or think about the deception that this, the serpent, Satan, gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve had it perfect. They had everything they needed. It was a perfect world. And Satan came to them and said, you know, the reason that God doesn't want you to have this fruit is because he knows that when you have it, you will be like him. And so they're like, well, okay, we got it pretty good here, but may, I guess maybe God's holding out on something. There's something that God's not letting me have. When God had clearly told them, if you eat it, you will die. And Satan said, no, it'll actually be better for you. It's deceptive. It draws you in that direction. Happiness, significance, safety, pleasure, enjoyment, those are powerful things that draw us. Is that God? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Therefore, the flip of that is, of, is true as well. There is no such thing as a good gift that doesn't come from God. There is no possible source other than God for us to receive all these good things. That doesn't exist. It's a lie. It is absolutely a lie. And then next we have the idea of the fear of the Lord. And that is all throughout the Bible. From the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. This idea of fearing the Lord. You know, God's people are commanded to fear the Lord. And, and, you know, it's a, when you think of fear, I mean, usually when we think of fear, we think of like terror, you know, or like, what, like, what would it be like to, to, to come face to face with a grizzly bear, or come face to face with a, a ravenous dog, you know, right at your face, or to almost accidentally, you know, step on a, a, a deadly uh, poisonous snake, or, or, you know, it, it, you have those close calls when you're driving on the highway, and it just kind of wakes you up like, oh my God, you know, I just almost got into an accident. It's like fear, just, you know, just heart starts pumping kind of thing. And, and now I believe that God is capable of giving us that kind of fear and, and, and uh, expressing himself in such a way that it, 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 I mean, we feel terror. I think he's absolutely ca capable of that. But I think when the fear of the Lord is really what it's, it is, is a, is a uh, radical, serious kind of reverence for who he is. As God, and, and one of my favorite uh, pictures in literature for, for this is from Aslan the Lion, you know C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and you know throughout that whole series, he, Aslan the Lion, because Narnia is this land, of course, most of you I'm sure know is a land where there's all these animals that can talk, and it's 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 kind of like a allegory in, in a way, but it, it but Aslan represents God and Jesus, um, of course he's talking. And, um, and constantly throughout that series, Aslan is referred to 
uh, they say he is a lion, but he is not a tame lion. And there's this one uh, scene I'll read here real quick where Susan, one of the main characters, she's being introduced to this figure, Aslan, and she's talking to Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I just love that imagery. He is a lion. He is not tame, but he is good. You know, what, what is a tame lion? You know, I don't know if anybody's ever been to the circus and seen a lion perform, but a, a tame lion is, is this ferocious, powerful, you know, killing machine that is under the control of men. Like, like, like somebody has trained this lion to obey what they do, right? That's a tame lion. God is not under our control in any form of any kind. We do not dictate to him in any way. He is nothing like, uh, you know, superheroes or, uh, you know, the Greek gods that you can, you can manipulate them. It's like, oh, sure, they're super powerful. He's like, like, who's more powerful than Superman? But, of course, if you got kryptonite and you got a good plan, you can trick and you can move around. And it's like there's ways to get around these, these kind of gods. Not only is God the most powerful being, but he is power. I mean, it's like, it's like there's no out strength, you know, strong banning him. There's no sneaking around. I mean, it's just he is the most powerful thing that there is. Is that what we fear more than anything? And the, the Christians at this time, they, they weren't afraid of the religious leaders who were trying to kill them recently. They're not afraid of the Roman Empire. And it, and it makes me think of, you know, it's like, I don't know if anybody when they were a kid, um, you know, encountered any bullies. Um, but it's like, you know, you see that if you're at the playground and there's that, that cruel, mean kid in the neighborhood that comes around the corner. And it's just like you just feel this dread. It's like, oh, I know it's coming. I guess I better get out of here. Or, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to face him. But what if your dad's right there? It's like, I'm not afraid of this kid. It's like, yeah, he's bigger than me, but my dad's right here. There's absolutely nothing to worry about, right? And, and on the reverse of that, it's like there's certain things you're not going to do in front of dad. It's like, it's like wait till dad leaves before you try to play baseball in the living room, right? Or it's, you know, it's like you don't mess with dad. It's like he loves you. He takes care of you. That's, that's a good dad, right? And, and God is the perfect good father who's that kind of father that loves us and protects us and yet is incredibly powerful. And you don't mess with him. You don't take him in a trivial kind of way at, at all. So what are you afraid of? What, what do you run from? Every single person is naturally moving towards something and naturally moving away from things. It's what, 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 the fear and comfort idea. Absolutely all of us. And, and I love Isaiah 66, too, and I've got it on the screen. And, I, and I, I want you guys to think about this passage like God is talking to you right now. Like God is just talking to you right now. He says, all 
these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be. In the previous verse, he's talking about the grandeur and the amazingness of the earth. And the, and the grandeur and the amazingness of the universe, the heavens. You know, and I was uh, talking to John a minute ago. Anybody see the picture of the black hole that they put out this week? And yeah, I remember when I first saw it on my phone, or I can't remember where I looked at it, it was like, okay, that's kind of boring. And it was like, that's it. And it's just this black circle with nothing and then kind of this weird yellow light around it and a weird shape. And, and then I saw some other pictures where it was kind of zoomed out and there was a little bit more of the context. And then I actually read about some of the detail. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this thing is amazing. And I, and I read this week that, it, that its size, its estimated size, is 6.5 billion times the size of our sun. It's gigantic. And, and John said that someone said that it's like three times, like if, if, if that were plopped right in the middle of our solar system, it would be three times the distance of Pluto, which is, I mean, it's so far away. It's, it's like so big, it's like I don't even, it's like how do I comprehend that? God said, by my hand that was made. I made that. You, know, you think about the waves of life, you know, I mean, if anybody's ever been in an ocean in a small boat with big rolling waves and the power of it, God made that. The, I mean, the waves that are coming around your life, God is over that in every way. We have nothing to really be afraid of when he is our father. And he goes on to say, but this is the one in whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. I mean, I, I take God's scripture and what he says so lightly, so often. You know, there, there's a powerful story when the Israelites had come out of Egypt and they were at the foot of Mount Sinai and God's presence is on top of that mountain. I mean, all these incredible things that just happened. And there's this brief time where God audibly addresses the entire nation of Israel. He talks to them all out loud. Normally, he'd been talking directly to Moses. He talks to them audibly all at the same time. And they are so freaked out by that sound. I mean, just it, the, 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 the terrible greatness of what they heard. That they told Moses, we don't ever want to hear that again. From now on, Moses, you go talk to God and we'll, we'll hear what he says through you. That is the trembling at God's word kind of thing. Let's not take God and who he is lightly. He is not a tame lion, but he is good and he is the king and he is your father through faith in Jesus Christ. And then finally, it says that they were in a time of peace. And, you know, th this section of Acts starts off with the stoning and martyrdom of Stephen. You remember the apostle, the future apostle Paul was right there taking care of everybody's coats. And it, and it launched a big persecution. But the guy who was, the main guy who was leading that persecution becomes a Christian. We talked about that last week. And so they've got this moment of peace. And it made me think about our time and where we are. 
You know, I think that we're in a time of peace, relatively speaking. Uh, If you compare our situation, where we are, to most people in the world, a good number of people in the world, we got it pretty good. We got it really good. If you compare our situation to people historically, it's like, wow, have, have, has it ever been this good? I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, some of you would know better than me, but we got peace. We got peace real good comparatively. And I think that, you know, people say that, um, you know, hard times, good times, I think we're really tested when things are going well. That's when the character of who we are really comes out when things are going very well. Because it seems like in adversity, that's what brings out the best of people. Um, We're not experiencing anything like that, relatively speaking, right? I mean, it's different by situation. I don't mean to generalize overly, but I'm just talking about our culture and where we are today. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, we had Pastor Peter and his wife. Remember, this is the couple from Uganda that the church over there that we've uh, been supporting and praying for, um, they went on a long trip to visit a number of people in the United States, and just before they went home, they flew out of Dulles, and they spent a day and a half with us at our house. And we t- took them to a couple of places because they wanted to see in D.C. And I was just talking to him about, you know, what, you know, about ministry and how it's going, and he asked me about, you know, what are some of the challenges of, of church planting and where you are, and I was talking to him about some of the things I was talking about. And he was super, super gracious and, and super uh, encouraging. And, but like halfway through it, I just kind of caught myself realizing like some of the stuff that I was complaining about relative to what Peter has to deal with regularly. Um, you know, I don't want to talk about the detail stuff he shared just because of the mixed audience that's here. But it's horrific what he has, he's doing. The, 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 what he is faced up against is just Unbelievable. I got it easy. <laughs> I got it real good compared to what he has to go through on a regular basis. And, and, and I think that that kind of gets to the core, I believe, of, of a lot of what this is. And it, and it gets to that idea of a harvest. Because, you know, when you have, when a farmer has a harvest, at the end of the harvest, you've got all this food. And, but you've always got to set aside a portion of it that's going to be the seed for next year. Right? So you've got to say that, okay, we're going to live on all this, but this part we've got to put in the ground next year, and it's going to die and waste away. We will not be able to eat it because we're trusting and we're believing in faith that God's going to cause it to rain and things are going to work out and it's going to grow. And we're going to have another round of harvest. There is, a, there is a sacrifice that has to happen. And I struggle with that sacrifice was saying, okay, God, you're on this mission. This is where you want me to go personally. But am I willing to sacrifice what's good for me, what I like, what I want, on behalf of what you want, God, and where you're going? I think that's really at the heart of it. We have to sacrifice something to get something greater, which is that multiplication idea. Matthew 16, 24 through 27, I think says it so, so well. And, and, and as I read this, you know, I, I, you know try to personalize it. Try to, try to think about Jesus actually saying these words to you. He says, then he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's, that's not a, I mean, that's not a like, you know, the Jesus spice. It's like, get the spice cabinet, get the Jesus, and dust a little Jesus spice on your life. I mean, that, that's like, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I mean, this is sacrifice on behalf of him and what he wants us to do. And, and, and look at this promise, the, the ba- almost backwards thinking in this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And just the irony of that, I mean, just, just the more we hold on to what we don't want to give up, the more we're gonna lo- likely we're going to lose it, and the more we're willing to say, God, it's yours, my life is yours, he gives you, gives you abundance in your life. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That last verse to me is like one of the most, one of the greatest understatements of the Bible. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, in, in the creation story where God makes everything. And he looked out and he said, it's good. And I remember there was a comedian that talked about that. It's like, it's good. It's like, there isn't a, I mean, we would say, it's amazing. You know, we, we'd have to add all these other things. It's like, it's good. There's, there's, it's good. The Son of Man is going to come with all the angels, with all the glory of the Father, and he is going to judge that's going to happen, and in, in, in that, I mean, I, it is going to be a heaven-splitting-open, rocking-the-planet kind of moment. I mean, it's unbelievable to think about what God is, I mean, he's coming back, and at that moment, he is going to, after that, he's going to judge for everything that, that we've done, and for other people, and it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. That's going to happen, and it, and so what's my life? What, what am I living for? What am I, what am I spending it on? Is it for him or is it for something else? And Jim Elliott, I love this quote. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that awesome? It's like the missionary is like, I'll, I'll go down to Ecuador and give my life for these Indians. Um, because I'm going to lose my life anyway. I'm going to die. It's, this is a short, momentary existence. And I have been so encouraged by you guys. I mean, it's like when I uh, spend time with you all, and we pray together, and we encourage one another, and we teach one another, and we help one another, it's like I get provoked by you guys. I get pushed by you guys. To seek my comfort in the Holy Spirit. To, to fear God with my life. Because, y'all, I, I believe that if we really are living like that, there is nothing to be afraid of and there is nothing that's going to entice us away off the path. When we are walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord, 
Like, how awesome is that? And then from there, it multiplied. Because that's what we want to see. We want to see that happen in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our work, all those kinds of things. God is at work in those things. And he will use us for, for his glory in all these things. So as we go to the Lord's Supper, you know, I want you to, in the, in the moments as, as you're preparing and seeking the Lord, you know, maybe there's something that comes to mind that, that it's like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm kind of disregarding you, God, in that area. I'm just kind of going my way. I know, God, you've said that's wrong, but I'm just going to keep going my way. You know, maybe there's something where it's like, you're not really trembling at his word. You're acting like he's a tame lion, that as long as you've got the whip right, you know, in the chair, I can control God. You know, or, or, or maybe there's an area where you're seeking comfort or pleasure or, or goodness, and it's a good thing, but it's not from God. Let's, let's let him work on us and, 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 and be refreshed again. Come to the table in the gospel and who Jesus Christ is as our Savior, as one who cleanses us and makes us whole. It's through him that that all happens. Father, I thank you for this time and your word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. And we thank you that you are so good and gracious and long-suffering. Father, you are God, and there is nothing that's out of your control or out of your sight. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that you describe in Isaiah 66 too. People that are humble. People that whose hearts are contrite, uh, broken before you. Um, people that tremble at your word. Lord, we want to see your life magnified through our life. And we want to be an example of that and the hope and the, and the goodness and the abundance that comes in following you and giving it all to you. We do surrender it all to you. We do give it all to you, God, because you are king. And you are good and you are our father. And so we take this and we do this in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And in his name we pray. Amen.